Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn now to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Now it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot, and horses, and fifty men as runners before him. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gates, and when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land, then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, and I would give him justice. And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hands and take hold of him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came about at the end of 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I was living in Geshur and Aram, saying, If the Lord shall indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Then two hundred men went went with Absalom from Jerusalem, who were invited and went innocently, and they did not know anything. And Absalom sent for Ahitophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city Gihon, or Gilo, while he was offering the sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Then a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. So the king went out and all his household with them, but the king left ten concubines to keep the house. The king went out and all the people with them, and they stopped at the last house. Now all his servants passed on beside him, all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and the Gittites, six hundred men who had come with him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why will you also go with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile. Return to your own place. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander with us while I go where I will? Return and take back your brothers. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely wherever my lord the king may be, whether for life, Whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. 
Therefore David said to Ittai, go and pass over. So Ittai the Gittite passed over with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. While all the country was weeping with a loud voice, all the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now behold, Zadok also came, and all the Levites with him, carrying the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar came up until all the people had finished passing from the city. The king said to Zadok, return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in him. Behold, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. The king said also to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace. And your two sons with you, your son Ahimaaz and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I am going to wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore Zadok and Abiathar returned to the ark of God, returned the ark of God to Jerusalem and remained there. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. And his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Now someone told David, saying, Ahitophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahitophel foolishness. It happened as David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, that behold, Hushai the archite met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you pass over with me, then you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so I will now be your servant, then you can thwart the counsel of Ahitophel for me. Are not Zadak and Abiathar the priests with you there? So it shall be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall report to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them, their Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything that you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would feed us from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So it's been a while since we've been in 2 Samuel, so a little bit of review before we tackle this passage this evening. Um, Chapter 11, just four chapters earlier, right? David, Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, that whole situation of David committing adultery and then um, having Uriah put on the front line of the battle and Joab being a part of that. Chapter 12, Nathan rebukes David. Right, rebukes him for his rebellion, for, um, for his adultery. In that same chapter, Solomon is born. And then chapter 13, you remember, we went through the story of uh, the history of Amnon and Tamar, um, brother and sister, and Amnon rapes Tamar. And at the end of that chap- chapter, Absalom kills Amnon. Right? Absalom kills his brother Amnon. And then chapter 14, we have that, that um, the woman of Tekoa, who, who is a, a minion of Joab, trying to, um, trying to convince 
trying to convince um, David to bring Absalom back into, the, into his fold, into the kingdom. And so um, Absalom, the, the Joab does prevail on David, and Absalom is called back. But you remember that for two years, David did not meet with Absalom. So Absalom had returned, and two years, David didn't show, didn't have him in his presence. And then, finally, David relents and brings Absalom into his presence. And it says, and the scripture says, and, and the king David kissed Absalom. And now, we get to chapter 15, where Absalom rises up against his father in rebellion. Right. This is this is rebellion. Um, this is try, this is a coup. This isn't just a, a rebellious son. This is a son who's trying to take over the kingdom, right? To bring down his father's kingdom, and he has methods that he uses about to um, to make this rebellion happen. He Absalom was not only handsome; he was smart. And he did not put that uh, intelligence to good use. But you see it in here. You see his methods. First of all, you see him make a show of power. Right? That's the first thing he does. He makes a show of power. How does he do that? He, ta- he, he gets a chariot. Right? And chariot was like, I don't know, it was like having a very fast car or a very big car. Um, it's, uh, but it also spoke of your position. So maybe it's more like a, a bus with your picture on the side of it and for your campaign, something like that. So, um, but but uh, kings rode in chariots, right? Kings rode in chariots. And so for him to ride in a chariot is for him to be giving forth the image of a king. He also had many horses. If we went to Deuteronomy 17... There's that passage that warns about the kind of kings that you might have that they're going to want to multiply horses. And so here is, here's Absalom taking after the Gentile kings who like to multiply horses as a show of power. And he's, he's multiplying horses. And then he has these 50 runners, right? And what's a runner? Well, um, the, the, it's it's an entourage, right, that ran before him when he drove out to attract the attention of people by this display of power, right? That was their purpose, is just to attract attention to Absalom when he was on the move, right? Runners before him, announcing his his presence. And so here he is bringing all these trappings of the of authority into um, into what he's doing. So at the very at at the center of this, he's making himself look important. And he's making himself look powerful. Right? <clears throat> he needed to look like a king. But then, he, the, you know, even, even more, more than that, we would say that our politicians do all those things. Right? We're used to this. This is normal. Politicians have an entourage. They have an image they portray. They go out to uh, Iowa and put their leg up on a fence and put the decob hat on, right, and, and get next to the farmers so that they can portray this image of being, um, being a, uh, a common man. And so, so they do that, and, uh, and so we're used to it. But he also does this. He's, he's drawing the hearts of the people after him. And how does he do this? He emotionally manipulates the people, 
He emotionally manipulates them. Look what he does. He goes out to the gates. He judges the people at the gates. So you remember the woman of Tekoa. The woman of Tekoa had a problem. She took it to the king, right? Not everybody would make the case to the king. There were people that would judge things before the king, but if there were not good judgments before that and people felt that it needed to go to the king, it would go to the king. And so... um, Here, Absalom goes out to the gates, so everybody that comes up to have something adjudicated by the king, he's making his own judgments. He's stepping in between and um, telling them. And if you look at verse 3, he taps into their frustration, right? Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king, right? You've got a great claim, no one's listening to you. Right? So right there, he's, he's, he's saying, I've got what you need. They're ignoring you. Um, one tactic about drawing hearts away. And then he, uh, verse 4, positions himself as the just one, the arbiter of justice. Absalom would say, oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man would have, who has any suit or cause could come to me and I would give him justice. Right? I would listen to you. Right? The king doesn't have time for you, but I, I would listen to you if I were king. And then, and then uh, verse 5, beyond that, uh, beyond, saying, beyond stirring up disgruntledness and saying, I'm your solution, he also just showers them with affection. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Oh, verse 5, previous to that. When a man came near to prostrate himself before him, right, to bend down low before him, um, he would put out his hands, take hold of him. No, no, don't fall before me. And he would kiss him, right? You know, don't, don't, you don't have to bow to me. And, And he would show these signs of affection to him. So the result of all of that, all of that manipulation, all of that show of power, all of that making himself look important, all of that emotional manipulation is that he stole away the hearts of Israel from King David. And so Israel is now positioned to uh, want to elect a new king. They could do such things. Right? Their hearts have gone after him. And then Following that, so I mean, there are a lot of applications we could pull out of that, and we'll come back to that later. But going through the through the the passage, Adam then rebels. Notice in verse seven. Now it came about at the end of forty years, uh, and you may have a note in your margin that says four years. Um, there's some question about this. Some older manuscripts have four years, which would mean that. Um, it's being dated from the, the beginning of Absalom coming back to Jerusalem. Um, but some say 40 years is just a time marker from the time that David took power. And so this is very near the end of his reign. I don't know what's right there. Um, it certainly is not to be read that Absalom sat there and drew the hearts of the people for 40 years. I think it was a much shorter time that he drew the hearts of the people toward him. So um, perhaps it's four years or 40 days or 40 months or something. Um, But Absalom goes to the king and he is manipulating the king now. Um, He says, I need to pay a vow in service to God. 
got to pay a vow. You know, back when I lived here and over in Gath, I, uh, I've got a vow that I've got to make right. And what does David do? Go in peace. Go in peace. Right? He even offers him peace. It seems that David is somewhat clueless about what's happening in his kingdom. He says, go in peace. Um, and uh, we often see this in, uh, David's, in David's reign uh, throughout, that there's a, uh, certainly when it comes to his sons, there's a cluelessness about what is happening and what they are doing. And, uh, and so he says, go in peace. Um, is David really unaware of Absalom's very public activities? Is David, the king, really unaware that, that Absalom's going down to the gate and, and making all the judgments that uh, he has no authority to make? Um, it's amazing what we refuse to see because we don't want to see it, right? It's amazing what we can, we can not see because we just don't want to deal with it. We just don't want to see it. Perhaps David was a man after my own heart, like that, right? We can, uh, we can bury our hand, heads in the sand with the best of them, like, like David did. Now, why Hebron? Why does he want to go back to Hebron? Absalom wants to go back to Hebron. Well, that's his birthplace. Um, but it's also where David was made king, right? Remember, he ruled in Hebron before he ruled in Jerusalem, and, and the capital was moved from Hebron to Jerusalem. And so this, this is where... Absalom has in his mind that kings are, are anointed and made. And so, um, but also, you think about rivalries between cities. Maybe David wants to go back to Hebron, or Absalom wants to go back to Hebron because there are people who are still mad that David moved from Hebron to Jerusalem. And so, it's, a, it's just a demographic that, that Absalom can tap into. He can quickly inflame their disgruntledness and turn them against the king. And so at that point, um, Absalom sent out spies to manipulate the tribes, right? Get the tribes loosened up for Absalom. Say that, you know, when you hear the trumpet, Absalom is king. And then notice in verse 11, it says, Then 200 men went with Absalom from Jerusalem, who were invited and went innocently, and they did not know anything. I mean, what's the deal with that? Um, what I think is most likely in that case is these are 200 high-power players in Jerusalem. And Absalom thinks, okay, it'd be strategic of me to get them out of Jerusalem, away from David, so that he doesn't, so David is left without support. So these may have been supporters of David, and he may have manipulated them, but nonetheless, they go with Absalom, and David doesn't then have those 200 people around him. And, um, <clears throat> and so, so you see the depth of the manipulation of Absalom here. I mean, he's, he's smartly drawing the kingdom after himself. He even does one last thing. He takes away Ahitophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor. Right, a very close inside man goes along with Absalom against David. The result of all this, the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. Well, how does David respond? 
messenger comes to him, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And he says, okay. He knows Absalom. Absalom's already killed one of his sons. Right? Absalom did that party, invited all the king's sons just so he could get to the one who had raped his sister. And he killed him. And so, and so David knows that Absalom is going to be merciless. And so he says, we must leave. Absalom's, Absalom's going to be merciless. And they all leave uh, the, these, these people who are loyal to David, except he leaves behind ten of, Dave, ten of David's women stay behind concubines at the, um, at the house. Who flees with David? Um, he has servants by his side. He has a bodyguard and 600 old companions in arms from Gath. Those 600 men from way back that he took out of Gath are still with him. And those 600 go with him and form a bodyguard. We could go back to 1 Samuel 27 and read about them. And then there's this dude named Ittai. Ittai the Gittite. Some sort of military commander. Um, And he's new. Um, One of the things David says in verse 20, you came only yesterday and shall shall I today make you wander with us. So he seems to have come around David really, really recently. And, um, and David persu- tries to persuade him, look, don't, don't go with me. I'm trouble, right? I'm, this is going to be trouble. Go, go back into Jerusalem and, and do what you need to do there. And we get this solemn oath from Ittai, which is beautiful, shows a loyalty uh, toward the king that um, is uncommon. He says, as the Lord lives, it's a double vow, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely whenever my Lord the king may be, whether for death or for life, these, um, oh, where is it? I wrote it down wrong. What verse is it? 21. Yeah, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely wherever my Lord the king may be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. What an encouragement for David. If you're going to die, I'm going to die beside you. If you're going to live, I'm going to live beside you. But um, I, am, I am faithful to you. And then notice also it mentions that Ittai, uh, when Ittai cr- go, went and passed over, that means to go in front of David, um, there were also his men, and all the little ones who were with him. So there were children, uh, children of these, these men and their families went with them. Where did they go? They went over the book, brook Kidron toward the wilderness. If you notice in Scripture, right from the start, movement toward the east is movement away from the presence of God. Right? The Adam and Eve were kicked out of the, the Garden of Eden to the east. Right? And so often when we read about movement to the east in Scripture, it's movement away from the presence of God. And so um, uh, that's how I take this. David is leaving Jerusalem where God has set his name, and he's being exiled. David is moving out. And um, uh, the result is it says that all the country was weeping with a loud voice. And then we see that um, Zadok brings the ark, which is very interesting. There are times in the past that we've gone through where the ark, the people of Israel have a tendency to trust that the presence of the ark is what will keep them safe, rather than faith in God, 
right? Rather than living by faith and trusting in him and knowing that he's going to fight for them, they want the presence of the ark. David says, no, send the ark back. Um, We don't need that. He doesn't have this sort of have ark, have God mentality. Um, Sort of a, that'd be an Old Testament sort of sacramentalism with the ark. It would be a, it'd be a chariot sticker. Um, You know, at first seems to be going with them. David sends it back with Zadok. And um, David says, look, if God's with me, I'll return to it. I'll return to the ark. I'll return to his city. I'll return to ruling his people if God is with me. Um, In other words, if God is with me, not if the ark is with me. And David appears to be accepting... um, all of this as some sort of discipline to the Lord. He's resigned to the will of the Lord. God, God may be with me. God may um, forsake me. Um, and he's, he's, he's being the king, right? He's, he's removing himself from Jerusalem. And it seems that he is one willing to die for the many. Now David leaves weeping as he goes. Notice he's, he's, he's undone. Right? He's weeping, he's got his head covered, he's barefoot. And um, while leaving and while crying, while weeping his eyes out, going to the Mount of Olives, he gets some intelligence from one of his men. And one of his men says that your closest advisor, Ahitophel, is with Absalom. Now who's Ahitophel? That is Bathsheba's grandfather. Okay? We often forget that, that this is the father of Bathsheba's father. And so, um, it just adds some, uh, some depth to the, uh, to the relationship between David and, and this man. Uh, David prays a very short prayer. O oh Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahitophel foolishness. Bam, God answers it. Right? Because what happens? It happened as David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped that, behold, Hushai the archite met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. So Hushai comes along and uh, that's an answer to his prayer. We're going to see Hushai dealing with Ahitophel later. And it's not that Ahitophel's counsel was foolishness, but Hushai was able to twist it to foolishness. Okay, and so... God answers that prayer of David um, through the arrival of that man. And um, who is Hushai? Well, verse 37 says he's David's friend. Now, that could be taken as their friends, or that can be taken as uh, a way of speaking of one of the close advisors of the king. He's a friend of the king. It could be official position. And um, nonetheless, it's somebody who's close to David, He's probably an old man because David says, look, if you go with me, you're going to be a burden to me. Go back to Jerusalem. So David's like, um, you know, this may be tough for you. Go back and be useful where you can be useful. Um, David asks him to be a spy. Be the answer to my prayer. Thwart the counsel of Ahitophel. Hushai goes back. Um, David has worked out that the priests and their sons, these four men, would be messengers. And right at that point, that's, so this is all the preview, right at that point, the very last verses, and Absalom came to Jerusalem. 
So Absalom went to Hebron, but came back to Jerusalem as, as David is fleeing. And so Absalom is entering, and David is fleeing. So that's all the background, that's all the points I wanted to make. And what applications could we possibly draw out of this? I've got a few, perhaps you have a few of your own that you want to share. Um, First of all, our hearts can be drawn away from faithfulness very easily, right? And we're, and, and we're in a, there's always a battle going on for our hearts, and when, when, once you see somebody who loves symbols of power, right, or uses words as manipulation rather than being a straight talker as a manipulator, right, and um, his words are, are just words, but they don't reflect reality, then you have to be careful because that person may be trying to draw you into their orbit. And, um, and so you learn a lot about... A lot about um, uh, about your heart and hearts being drawn away through this example of Absalom at the beginning. He does everything he needs to do to twist the affections of those um, under him. And his motives are terrible, right? His motives are draw them away from David, away from God. I'm going to be king. Things are going to go my way. And he hasn't been... He hasn't been brought to justice for the murder he's committed. He hasn't been brought to justice for the terrible things he's done and yet believes that he is ready to serve as king. Um, Be aware of that drawing. Um, Be aware that everything in life is trying to seduce you. Right? Especially be aware of that when it comes to your children's hearts. Your children's hearts, they're constantly being seduced by fill in the blank by um, advertising by by text messaging on discord and advertisements that pop up right by there's there's this warfare that's going on and everybody's vying for your hearts but especially your children's hearts because they lack discernment they're easier to capture and draw along Right, and so be very careful. the The trouble is, is that we're often the ones who feed our children what leads to them being seduced by the world. And so you really have to stop and think about um, what we are feeding to our children. Are you aware that your children are being seduced? Are you watching, or are you hiding? Do you see it, but it's one of those areas where you refuse to see it? Um, wake up and help them. They need your help because children are naive. Children are naive. Many adults are naive, right? And they need help discerning where they're being seduced by the world away from God. Think of David's prayer. He prays that the counsel of Ahitophel would be foolishness. That's, you know, you get... um, that's more than a physical need, right? We get in these ruts where our prayers, is all, our prayers become all about physical needs. And that's right and legitimate to pray for those things. But David, David here is in a situation where um, he very well could have prayed about his physical needs, right? He's leaving his city. He's, he's taking along people. He's got to make provision. He's, 
Those are the things that might occupy our minds at that point. But right now, he's thinking strategically about, about the long game. And the church should pray that God would confound our enemies as well. Right? This idea of confounding enemies, confounding the counsel of those who are set against us. That's something the church should constantly be engaged in because we see examples of it where? All through the Scriptures, all through the Psalms. Everywhere we have examples of praying against our enemies that God would confound them, that God would confuse them, that God would make them go insane, that God would, would use, uh, make them come up with, with uh, plans that are absurd failures right? because of lacking wisdom. So we need to pray for more than physical needs, we need to pray um, that God would confound our enemies. Um, notice that Zadok and Abiathar's sons have critical roles. Right? Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, go back. The sons of the priests are going to be the go-between between Jerusalem and David. That's some serious responsibility. right? When you have an uprising in the capital city and the sons are going to be the ones to... Um, be going back and forth between the king and the priests who are there to, to listen and see, that's a critical role. Perhaps we should give more critical roles and more authority to uh, the children of our church and the sons of our church particularly. Um, fifth, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Remember this from Second Samuel 12? I will raise up evil against you from your own household. And here we see that enacted. God, God, this is God's providence that Absalom would be a thorn in the side of his father. He's disciplining. It's, he's still disciplining David for his sins in regard to Uriah and Bathsheba. Uh, <clears throat> notice also this. Absalom is a rebel. Ittai, the Gittite, a stranger, is faithful. The son's a rebel, and the stranger is faithful. Um, sometimes friends, not family, are the ones who stand with us in the darkest hour. Right? Sometimes it's friends and not family. Would that it were family, would that family were on the same page, but, but it seems that often there are deep-seated bitternesses that people are unwilling to overcome in families. And so it's at that point that friendship becomes very important. Friends become important because they stand with you. Those brothers born for adversity. Any other any other thoughts come to your mind as we went through this passage? Any other applications? Well, um, one last thing from, from a commentary I was reading on this that sort of summarizes what's going on here. For all the hints of faith, it is still a dark day in Israel. Admittedly, David is suffering for his sins, but he is nevertheless the rightful king. But the rightful king has been rejected and plods up the Mount of Olives weeping. 
The scene will be repeated. The descendant of David, the rightful king, according to 7, 12 through 16, will be seen on the Mount of Olives, Luke 19, 37. And he will be weeping, Luke 19, 41 to 44, not so much over his rejection as over the doom of those who have rejected him. Right? And so we see a parallel between David and the son of David, Jesus, weeping as... Um, as he's put outside the gates, outside the city. And, uh, and so we, we see in, in a small way uh, Jesus through um, Jesus in David's position here. And uh, let's remember that as well. Jesus, our Savior, was rejected by his people, right? And crucified outside the camp and um, fully rejected and and uh, done away with, and all of that was for good. It was for the good of our souls. It was for our salvation and our redemption. And um, and so praise God for that. We see echoes of that prior to Jesus doing it um, all through the the Old Testament. Certainly here with with David. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for reminding us of of truths from your word. Father, help us to be faithful and to apply this word so that we might uh, be vigilant. Father, that we might be good friends, that we might um, pray as you would have us pray, that we would think of the long, long game in our prayers. Lord, we pray that you would, um, you would help us Father, there, there is so much that attempts to manipulate us and seduce us today. And we're so deeply into most of it, Father. And so give us discernment about what, what, um, what we should cut off. And give us uh, an ability by your Spirit to hate what you hate and to love what you love and uh, to judge everything according to your word, whether it is good or evil. So help us in this task, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.